0: It's Friday, January 10th. Welcome to episode 21 of insert content here. Insert content here. Words intentionally unclear. Pop popa pap Insert content here. Hi, I'm Jeff Eaton, digital strategist at Lullabot. Uh, every couple of weeks, I get together with cool and interesting people, and we talk about digital publishing and content strategy and cool stuff that's going on in the world of well, content. This week, we have an old friend, Karen McGrain, author, speaker, content strategy UX person. I'm 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 sure there are fields you haven't worked in, Karen.
1: I, I'm I'm multi-hyphenate. <laughs> Actor,
0: singer, writer, dancer. The quintuple threat. But yeah, so uh, it's starting to be a bit of a tradition now because last year, which the podcast has been going for over a year now, which is kind of cool. But last year, we got together uh, around this time and did sort of a retrospective on stuff going on in like CMS and digital publishing and content strategy, a little bit about what was going on next, what what we thought would be coming in the next year. And I thought it was really cool to do that again so first off happy holidays i I hope 2014 is treating you well
1: and it is a pleasure to be back so i would say the year is off to a very good start already (laughs) so 2013 was
0: a huge like travel and and speaking and like conference year for you wasn't it
1: i i literally spent half of my time on the road last year which was a depressing statistic that trippet clued me into at the end of the year
0: at some point, Tripit just gets an intervention button.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think at a certain point, Tripit, instead of giving me alerts on flight delays, it needs to give me some alerts like, hey, what if you stayed home with your dog? So, yes, I, you know, I made a decision last year. I, my, my book, Content Strategy for Mobile, came out at the very end of, of 2012. And I, I made a decision that I was just going to say yes to as many things as I could say yes to. So I did quite a bit of of speaking, a lot of travel, really trying to get the message out there. Twenty fourteen is going to be a little bit different for me. I'm I'm backing way off of of my travel schedules so that I can have time to stay at home and work with a lot of the clients that I've taken on over the past year.
0: It makes sense, you know. Your your book, Content Strategy for Mobile, I think was one of the I guess linchpin books for like a, a lot of conversations that were going on dealing with mobile device proliferation and the stuff that a lot of online publishers are having to cope with. Are there any other particular like trends or, you know, big events or moments that you think st- stand out in that world for, for last year? So
1: I have definitely seen an increased uh, attention to and and movement from a lot of companies around developing a more coherent strategy for mobile. So and that you know that's not to say that that I, I don't I don't believe that 2013 was the year of mobile. I think that that had happened quite a long time ago. But up until that point, I saw organizations treating mobile as just a much more ad hoc sort of one off like let 's throw something against the wall and see if it sticks kind of plan and this was the year where I think organizations started um, one freaking out a little bit more about the traffic that they were seeing coming in from mobile devices It, it was you know it became something that they could no longer ignore, and two, I think then. They started recognizing that this was something that had to be more systemically integrated into their overall digital strategy, into their org structure, and they needed a longer term plan for how they were going to achieve what they wanted to do. And so that, you know, those those are the interesting conversations to me.
0: Like, what, what what's the reception been to that message? I mean, I think a lot of the folks that I hang out with, their reaction was, ah, finally. Um, but I know that that can't be universal. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, I, I think that, no, it's, it's not universal. And I think, you know, I, I tell the story of, of going to speak at a company and, and trying to explain all of the challenges that organizations were going to face in getting their content onto mobile devices or getting good content. And having somebody raise their hand and, and basically say, well, we're going to use responsive design. You know, I definitely think that there's a lot of uh, there. There are still pockets of people who who think like, well, you know, we're going to build an app. Well, your app's not your strategy. Responsive design's not your strategy. That's not going to those techniques aren't going to solve all of your overall problems. They are fantastic techniques. They are, you know, if you if you have a good strategy in place, they can be a great idea. But you are if you think that that focusing just on one of those particular tactics is going to solve all of your problems. You're, you're, you're missing the forest for the trees. But uh, you know, in contrast to that, I think I've, I've spoken to many, many organizations that are like, oh, finally, yes, like we get it. We, we really recognize that the content, the content management system, that our overall processes and workflow are really the problem here. That means that you know when I say that 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 I don't want to make it seem like I think that implementing new designs or or app development or you know making good choices about how something like responsive design is going to change your design and development workflow. I, I in no way mean to trivialize that because I think that stuff is also complex and you know changes the organization. But I think that I've heard a lot of very. I guess, like reassuring things from organizations that are saying, yeah, we get it. Like we get that, that dealing with mobile doesn't mean just like squishing something down to fit on a smaller screen size. It means reevaluating what we are doing online in general so that we can ensure that we are develop, you know, delivering higher value content and that it's something we can manage and maintain.
0: Maintain. What a crazy concept. (laughs)
1: Right. It's like, no, you just put something on, on the phone and then
0: it just stays there forever and you never have to think about it again. Sadly, no. It's interesting because like that that concept of then maintaining it, at least on the CMS and like the web publishing side, I've seen more and more of that aspect of content strategy start to bubble up into higher level conversations where, you know, more and more people seem to be thinking about how are we going to deal with this you know over over the course of a year because we're going to be producing so much of it and and that seems to be encouraging because it feels like for so long there's been this idea of you just firehose stuff and anytime the site gets redesigned you'll just sort through it later
1: you know i'm i'm really hopeful that this is one of the the best things that comes out of our recognition that we live in this multi-channel multi-platform world now is that there is less short term thinking around what it's going to take to actually maintain things over time, and more of a focus on saying we've got to be more efficient, we have to think about reuse, we have to plan for the future and our teams are our our teams need to have the things have things that that can be smoothed out. They have to have more efficient processes in place to manage the, the routine everyday stuff so that the teams can focus on delivering a great experience, delivering a new, new experience. You know, it's like they need their time freed up so that they can, they can focus on, the, on doing a great job in other ways.
0: Some of that seems to point to viewing the actual content production team as something other than like an assembly line or a factory for, for articles,
1: yeah, you know, that's I think that's another interesting thing that I've seen this year. Having the opportunity to go into different organizations that are are wrestling with the I guess the the centralization versus decentralization question. You know, do you have one core content team that is responsible for creating and publishing whatever has to be put out there or is that more distributed across the organization? And then what's the relationship between content creators, writers, editors, UX people? What's the relationship between that kind of mindset to the IT team who may have been traditionally the ones that that owned and operated the CMS? I have seen... Many organizations saying it's time for us to look at how this org structure works and, and look at how we define these roles and responsibilities and perhaps change the way that works. So perhaps now is the time that we've we've had a, a team of of people who sat in IT and they operated the CMS, but they weren't they weren't content people per se. They weren't they weren't writers or strategy people or UX people. Maybe now it's time to improve those tools, improve the interfaces, improve the workflow, and then put people who have a writing background or an editorial background in charge of both creating the content and updating it in the content management system. Every organization is different and I won't I won't say that I think there's one right way to do things. But I think if we're going to have a world where people can effectively publish to all of these different platforms and devices. It it probably is going to require some some new ways of thinking about what different roles and responsibilities are within the organization and how those teams work together, and it's probably not going to be the same way you've been doing it for the past 10 years.
0: But it's so comfortable. We've gotten so used to this.
1: Yeah, sometimes I, you know, the, like the idea that you wouldn't have a team of people in IT who just sat there uploading things into the CMS or you know that there there wouldn't be multiple roles in that equation where you'd have people, you know, people coming up with the ideas for the content and then people writing and proofing the content and then a separate team of people actually physically uploading it the idea that if you just designed a better system maybe you could streamline those roles and free up your IT resources to focus on other things and also put your content people more in touch with with what they're creating and what they're publishing.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because it, in the Drupal development world, um, there's long been a, a history of like this weird um, hybrid role called a themer, someone who sort of yeah. isn't. Quite, uh, a developer writing, you know, custom functionality. And they're not necessarily a, you know, a designer who does web design, but what they do is they turn web designs into Drupal templates that, you know, at least historically have tended to be relatively code heavy. And the idea of that like hybrid role of themer existed for quite a while. And I think in the past year or so, it's, it's taken on a lot more like what would be called like front-end dev responsibilities, you know, where that ends up now going more hand in hand with like JavaScript and SAS and CSS and, you know, design responsibilities. But for a long time, it was this thing that like in the Drupal world, there was this role that no one really seemed to understand outside of the Drupal world. Um, and it feels like a lot of organizations with, you know, with heavy content infrastructure have evolved similar kinds of roles. Like the person, what turns you know, Word files into actual things that get entered into the CMS.
1: You know, it's like, I've been working in this space for 15 or more years now. And it is really interesting to see how these roles evolve as, you know, I guess as the complexity of the work that we do changes. Organizations really should be more thoughtful and more strategic about how they define what these roles are, how they recruit for them. And, to to recognize that the value of your content creators or people who are who are who are publishers to some extent is it is in their ability to write or to communicate but the real value is in having people who sort of understand that whole process and life cycle and that workflow and who can understand you know how how is this this content that i'm creating going to benefit the business How is it going to actually be executed when we put it on the website or, you know, in any other digital platform? And what can we do to make that process more efficient?
0: Sort of related to this uh, editorial experience and the content creation experience is another theme that I think was a big one last year um, that you you weighed in on. And I think a a lot of people were talking about was Mm -hmm. WYSIWYG editing. (laughs) <laughs> dun, 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 I, I think dun. somebody even found um, like graffiti spray painted on a brick wall somewhere saying WYSIWYG is dead. I know. I, I laughed like so hard when I saw that. And then that went
1: in every talk that I could put it in. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like maybe here's my chance to – to be more clear about what I mean when I talk about WYSIWYG editing. Something, and, something
0: a, little more, a little more nuanced than a single tweet.
1: Or, or graffiti, really. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I, I, when I talk about it, I, it's not the idea that somebody has a toolbar at the top of their screen that I have a problem with. It's not buttons aren't the problem. The problem is the idea that, that the content editing interface is is really just, you know, a big blob called container. And the 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 goal of the tool is to mimic like a page layout application as closely as possible so that content creators can go in there and and you know, float things to the right or change colors or, you know, uh, you know, embed tables or other, you know, other layout graphics um, to mimic what they might do in an application like Microsoft Word or PageMaker or, you know, InDesign or whatever. That's not how the web works. And the fact that we are are using that mental model as a crutch for people to help them grasp what it is that they're doing on the web... uh, you know it's to me, I look at that, and I'm like that has been a, a a a temporary um like tool set that we've been relying on kind of in the interim to get people on board and kind of get people thinking about the web but That's not the web. Like, the web is fluid. It is flexible. You know, there is no page. And I think now that we're finally wrestling with the challenges of true multi-channel publishing, now is the time to give up that crutch and say we need to get everybody thinking about how to create and structure and manage and publish content in a way that is appropriate for the way the web works, not for how paper works.
0: And, and I think a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, you mean, you know, everyone should hand edit a bunch of complex HTML or, you know, markup. And I don't think that's what you're getting at.
1: No, in fact, not at all. In in, in many cases, I mean the opposite, which is that the, the WYSIWYG blob model, it, to some extent, does force people to still understand the underlying HTML or you know, how those, how those tags are going to work in the, in the underlying system. Whereas I think a, a true separation of content from form would mean that people can focus on creating the content and c- focus on creating the right structures for the content. People would have interfaces that would help support them in adding the right, you know, creating their content of the right length or the right style adding the right metadata in the right places, and that they, to some extent, would would have to worry less about adding in their own styling or formatting or figuring out what they want it to look like, because that's going to be taken care of other in other ways through the system. And, you know, I, in, in saying this, it's like, I recognize that that is a problem for people, that in many ways, people are like, no, I want to, you know, this is my thing and I want it to look exactly the way I want it to look and I want to lay it out. And I, if, you know, if I want to make it purple Comic Sans, then by God, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, that, that, those are the kind of decisions that I think for, that, that we really do have to try to separate out and say content creators need, their job needs to be to describe what something is, not necessarily what it will look like. Because what it's going to look like on different platforms isn't going to be the same thing.
0: It seems like a lot of the energy that's poured into certain kinds of WYSIWYG and and assistive editing tools, um, it it expends a huge amount of energy on um, high fidelity visual preview of HTML rather than actually assisting people with like what the vocabulary of the content that they're working with is. There's nothing particularly magic and inherently like contenty about most HTML tags. It's just what we're used to dealing with. You know, if, if in, in the early days of browsers, someone had introduced like a tilt tag that may, you know, that put a word at, you know, a 15 degree angle, you know, we'd, we'd probably think badly of it and, you know, and make jokes about it. People would probably eventually feel like that was just some sort of natural extension of the vocabulary, that they were somehow being hindered if they didn't have a button for that in the editor. And, you know, by golly, I want that sentence to tilt because I want it to (laughs) really be emphasized or something like that. And But that's really moving them towards talking in the native language of a browser not necessarily the language of the content that they're working with like you know a a product review tiltiness is not an aspect of a product review but you know things like rating or you know how much time you spent with it you know those are aspects of a particular kind of content that are important Regardless of how it's going to be presented or what you know, what medium it eventually finds its way into.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, to me, I've, uh, we've had so many interesting conversations about this subject, and I, I imagine we will continue to do so. I think that this is really at the heart of what it means to publish on the web or publish in, in you know, all of these crazy new channels, digital channels that we're dealing with. It's this idea that d- being able to describe what something is, we don't necessarily have the right vocabulary. It's like we're asking a lot of HTML. And the if 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 we were to think about it in two stages, like, you know, one stage is describe what something is, and another stage is, is describe what something looks like, and that there's a transformation step between those two it it would take a lot of the weight off of off of some of a lot of the burden off of kind of of that rendering and i think the idea that we would put more energy into into figuring out how to describe things and separate from what they look like that's what's going to help us survive the you know this world of getting onto all of these different new platforms
0: I, I remember a couple of conversations probably about a month ago that seemed to touch on some of these things, like media organizations that already sort of have the fire hose of content that they can point at any given output medium. When they try to tackle this kind of challenge, what are they, what are they facing?
1: You know, I think whether you're dealing with a, a traditional publisher or an organization that where their content infrastructure is so significant that they really have to think of themselves as like a publisher. I think all of the clients that I've worked with that are facing those challenges are are really struggling with these questions around structure. They're really asking themselves, okay, like what should our tools be? What should our workflow be? How how do we go about um, like in an actual physical sense, like how do we model this content? How do we you know add that that into the process who 's going to be responsible for doing it, and how do we make sure that we strike the right balance between having like the the constraints and the structure that we need, but yet not. Go overboard or do it in the wrong way, so that that structure becomes constraining, and people can't do what they want to do, or they hate it, or or they find, you know, as you as you imagine, they find workarounds to to you know get outside what, what what our intent is.
0: I'm putting ad codes in the zip code field. Exactly. It works perfectly. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah, I had a meeting with a client this week where they you know they're like, yeah, we built this framework to you know, put some constraints on what people can do, and, you know, immediately, it was just, like, people figured out all the workarounds they could figure out. I laughed, and I'm like, wow, I've never heard of anybody doing that before. You must be, like, completely unique. But, no, it's <laughs> like, that's anybody who's ever... It's like, I think anyone who, have, who has ever operated a CMS has tried to find a way to be like, okay, yeah, it's, this field says it's supposed to be for this, but I, I really want to use it for this, so that's what I'm going to put in there.
0: One of the aspects of this challenge that I think we've talked about a little bit that I, I think might be one one of the big emerging, you know, issues that we've got to tackle is, but how to start modeling um, design and design decisions and treating that as something that's something that has real structure and real meaning beyond simply like stylistic or, you know, visual presentation.
1: Yeah. I, I, we've talked about this that i i find myself increasingly trying to describe the the difference between content types and display types and the idea that that you may have this one underlying content type that has the you know all of this the structure and it describes what something is and that, that content type can be translated into different display types on different platforms. So something that on the web might be a long scrolling list um, or you know, images and text, that might translate to a swipeable slideshow on mobile. And it's the same same content, same content structure, but... The way it looks and the way that the user interacts with it might wind up being very different, and so I, I I do think that this is is probably one of the most fruitful areas of exploration. It's something that I'm particularly interested in in the year to come. How like how do those transformations take place, and what are some patterns that might start to emerge around? Like, oh, yes, if you have this type of tabular data on your website, that might be the right way to present it, and here's a way to take that same content and render it differently on a smaller screen so that you fulfill the same purpose, you serve the same goal for the user, it just doesn't, it, it's the same content, it just doesn't look exactly the same.
0: And it's interesting, because I think a lot of that, um, a lot of experimentation and thinking around that kind of stuff has been taking place in the front end, um, in the front end development and, and web design communities, you know, layering JavaScript and like jQuery plugins on top of semantic markup that's being output and figuring out, you know, okay, given a table and, you know, three ULs, how can we present this in a variety of interesting ways? And I think Part of this might be just that—that that way of thinking about it and a way of looking at it, starting to push its way, up, you know, up further, you know, along the chain into the, you know, the server side tools that are being built and the CMSs that are being built, and even like the early planning stages, not just the the final like coat of paint that goes on it.
1: Yeah, I think that I, I see the same thing happening that. What you off? What I've what I've seen a lot of over the last year or so is is experiments from like the front end design and development community to be like, hey, this would be possible, and then the question becomes, okay, like, if given that that's possible, should we use it? How how should we use it? What what would make sense to you know? Is is this a is this a useful tool? that will actually apply to our real content not just you know not just as a conceptual prototype and so i think that's great i mean it's 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 like um a lot of really creative explorations will will come it's like that's why i like this period so much because you do feel like new ways of of handling and solving problems are emerging and it's fun to see people like Explore different solutions, and eventually some some standard patterns will emerge. But that hasn't happened yet.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I was just reading an article uh, from someone on on the software development side. It was talking about like this this last year has has been sort of that evolutionary explosion in different ways of trying to tackle these problems. So it's uh, d- exciting and also somewhat terrifying from. Perspective of someone actually who actually has to plan projects with an actual lifespan. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know, right? It's like, I can understand why everybody's like, whoa, maybe we shouldn't, like, you know, maybe, maybe a waterfall approach is not going to work here.
0: What do you think the biggest point of conflict in, in the world of content strategy is?
1: In my mind, I think really one of the big points of contention in content strategy is uh, really around the idea of content marketing. There is a sense of, well, what you should do is you should be publishing more content and you should, you know, be fire hosing more content out there on the internet and that's gonna help you engage with customers and build brand loyalty and you know make yourself be seen as a trusted resource. And I think there are some excellent case studies of companies that have been able to do that and do that well. I think there are also some plenty of case studies out there of, of that really not working and really doing more harm than good. Doing more harm than good for users who are now forced to wade through a lot of not quite relevant content, trying to find what it is that they're looking for, and a lot of damage to internal teams that are you know, cranking out content for reasons that are somewhat opaque. My point of view is still so much around mobile and saying, hey, if, you, if you're going to do a good job on in communicating on different screen sizes, you are going to have to pare things down and clean things up. Which which isn't to say you should you need to throw out valuable content or dumb it down or sh- make it shorter, but it is to say if you have have content that isn't what your users want or isn't provided value, now is the time to clean that up. And so I I, I think there's still some tension around that in the in the content space. And you know I'm going to venture to say that. I, I think the pendulum might swing, in some sense, back to the, the, you know, my world of structured content and separation of content from form, and you know, the more like blobby integration of design and content. Um, I think that I, I, I still, to this day, see people who are, you know, who who really just want a container blob and want to be able to dump whatever they want into it and you know i i get the sense that that i don't think that debate's done yet i think we're going to keep keep having to to have that debate as we move on to this platform and probably as we move on to the next one
0: i don't think that's a need that will ever go away there's always going to be room for someone who needs to just do a bespoke Banner to go over on the left side with, you know, information about our upcoming sale. And, you know, I mean, like, especially in marketing where there's a lot of very ephemeral content where being able to get it just so in a short period of time matters more than how it will look two months from now. Mm -hmm. We're going to see some conflicts around trying to define when that's the need and when longer term, you know staying power for for some of the material that's being produced is needed and i think that's going to be a lot of interesting discussions inside of each organization figuring out you know where where those lines are
1: yeah i think the I, i think you're totally right about that and obviously you've you've been thinking a lot about lately about how to support the you know how to support or creating content that does have Specific or fine-grained design or layout requirements. How to support more ephemeral content that that isn't necessarily designed for reuse. And you know, I I think that I think that regardless of what your point of view is on you know, should it be totally structured? Should it you know, should you just have a big blob? I think that more attention paid to those editing interfaces and those tools like how do you how do you support those regardless of of how somebody wants to use it um you know i i think that that's going to that's going to move the industry forward you know if i had somebody come to me and be like nope karen blob blob is all we need um to be able to say okay well like how can you support what it is that you want to do and get as much html out of that you know get get as much like page specific or layout specific HTML out of that blob so that you have a fighting chance of getting it on other platforms or being able to use it reuse it in multiple ways. You know that I like I'm not so doctrinaire about my, my whole structured content thing where I, I can't see that that those kind of conversations too will also move the industry forward.
0: This is this is turning into one of my favorite questions. If you could just snap your fingers and one problem would just vanish from the world in 2014, what, what would that problem be?
1: I think that one of the biggest unsolved problems out there is really helping organizations manage the content editing and migration process. So, you know, let's say you're big corp and you have this huge sprawling desktop website and there's, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of pages on there, and you drunk the Kool Aid. Like, you know, you, you're you're buying what I'm selling, and you want to clean up your your desktop website, make it responsive. Um, you know, get it onto other platforms. How do you do that? I mean, physically, actually, you know, literally physically. How are you going to manage the editorial process and workflow? Of getting that content edited, reviewed, thrown out. How are you going to manage the stakeholder and legal review process? How are you going to get things approved?
0: Um, Not like the conversation about ought we do this and philosophically how we should approach this, but like the the nitty gritty details of it, the
1: actual hands on work of taking you know going from my giant sprawling desktop website that you know hasn't necessarily been been carefully maintained over the years. There's a lot of weeds growing up to how do I make all of the decisions that I'm going to have to make, do all of the editing, all of the reviews to the point where I can then get that stuff onto some new website. And honestly like I don't I don't think we have particularly good tools to help people with that. I mean, I I think it is time that we moved away from our heavy reliance on word documents and excel spreadsheets to manage that
0: process but w- what do you do in the interim uh, until someone builds the magic tool that replaces those things yeah. you know
1: i have i've worked with some organizations where i've really been encouraging um, like if they are let's say they're moving to drupal um, build a a lightweight version of drupal that is focused entirely on the content model and the the editing workflow, so the approval processes. It's never intended to actually publish anything to the web, so there doesn't need to be any theming or, or you know publishing processes. And use that as your, you know, your one integrated system for editing, for reviewing, for you know managing the process. And when you're done with that, then presumably you have structured content that is that is already in Drupal and you can migrate that to you know your your final version of Drupal that
0: is designed to publish to the web there are even like a number of different companies that are starting up sort of around that concept like gather content i know is one that's gotten a lot of attention i'm not sure how deep its support for like building out your own structure and content types goes but that idea of you stand up a system that allows pure focus on the content rather than muddying that process with the infrastructure and the new design and stuff like that
1: yeah exactly you know i it's like i am incredibly sympathetic like to clients that I work with where they're like okay great so we're going to have to go in and and edit all of this content which means I'm going to have to take my team members my full-time staff I'm going to have to try to free up some of their time but the truth is that you know they're they have full-time jobs already so you know, I have to. I have to make staffing decisions around how to balance their workload with what they do day to day right now versus making, edit, you know, fixing up and editing the content that's there. I'm gonna have to bring in a team of freelancers to help me manage this process, and and have those freelancers be responsible for a lot of the the editorial revision work. I'm gonna have to go out to my organization and say, hey, you know, you business stakeholder who is responsible for this content, like I'm gonna have to you know have you review what we're doing and get your buy-in and you know get you on board with the idea that we're cleaning up and throwing out some of your content i'm going to have to have like a whole business and and legal and compliance review process around how all that content gets gets you know approved for you know approved again once we've edited it it's a lot of work i don't know that there are great tools out there gather content is an, is an excellent one if that works for for organizations i would strongly encourage them to use it but for a lot of companies it's like what are we going to do is it going to be word documents are we going to try to do it in our cms like how how should we actually go about fixing this problem
0: never a dull moment
1: may you live in interesting times
0: Looking forward to the coming year. It's it's going to be hopefully slightly tamer for you in terms of travel and speaking. But uh, are there any particular events that uh, we should keep our eyes open that you'll be appearing at?
1: I am uh, very much looking forward to the Now What conference um, hosted by Blend Interactive uh, in beautiful Sioux South Dakota, which is actually a lovely little town if you have never been.
0: Oh yeah, that's uh, Dean Barker's. Dean Barker's uh, event. Yeah, I'm re- I'm
1: really looking forward to doing that one. That's in um that's in April. I am also doing uh, Jared Spool's UX Immersion event, which is also in April in Denver. So I'll be talking predictably about content strategy for mobile and doing a talk and my full-day workshop there.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how 2014 actually turns out. We'll we'll see how accurate our, our predictions are. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you as well. Thanks for listening to Insert Content Here. If you'd like to catch up on our archives or keep up on our new episodes, visit us at lullabot.com slash ideas slash podcasts slash insert content here. You can also visit us directly at insertcontenthere.com.